what we watch on the Animal Channel or the Discovery Channel or the Animal Planet or whatever those, you never see failure. You never see anything happening really wrong. From Wyoming Public Media, this is Human Nature. Real stories where humans and our habitat meet. I'm Caroline Ballard. This time, we'll hear about a man whose faith in his scientific research was shaken when he discovered its true cost. I was starting to consider to leave my career. I was starting to consider to never be a biologist again, to never get involved in research again, and instead like go back to where my brother lived and be a mountain biker guide. Growing up in Mexico, Sergio Avila Villegas always loved big cats. The city where I grew up in Zacatecas used to have a small, tiny zoo where they had an African lion in an ugly chain link fence. But what was really interesting is that this lion would roar in the mornings and you could almost hear this lion all throughout town. So I feel like I grew up hearing lions even though it's not the natural place for them to be, but I feel like they were in my dreams, in my books, on TV, in my visits to the zoo. Yeah, I've been thinking about cats for a long time. Sergio majored in biology in college, went on to get his master's, and then he started his PhD at the University of Arizona in Tucson. He was excited. He would get to study under a professor he'd long admired. His project focused on jaguars in the Sonoran Desert. This area, about 150 miles south of the international border, is known to be the northernmost place in our continent, in the American continent, North and South America, where jaguars breed, where jaguars find mates, where there's males and females, and they're having cubs. North from there, including into Arizona and New Mexico, we have not found places where they are both present and breeding. So we think, we think that this is the place where jaguars come from. In this remote landscape, Sergio and the other biologists on the project were really, really alone. Pretty much living in a tent, sort of living outside. There's no facilities. The ranch that we were living in, it was a private property that was the end of the road. You would have to drive about 10 hours on a four by four wheel road and open about 20 gates to get there. So we were capturing with foothold snares, jaguars and mountain lions. Scientists knew more about mountain lions than jaguars. So Sergio and his team studied both. We were anesthetizing these animals, and we were putting radio collars in order to follow their movements. Mountain lions are lean, tan cats. Jaguars have spots, and they're stocky and strong. Mountain lions are more common, and jaguars are rare, nearly endangered. By the time Sergio got there, previous scientists on the project had already captured and collared one mountain lion. Soon, Sergio and his research partner collared two more mountain lions. Finally, after a couple of months, 
it was time to try for the more elusive and mysterious jaguar. One of the things that is very important to to consider here is that at least you know, for what we watch on the Animal Channel or the Discovery Channel or the Animal Planet or whatever those, you never see failure. You never see anything happening really wrong. And as scientists, we are not trained to deal with failure. We always think that the project is going to go great. We never anticipate certain problems, problems like this. We just think, oh, we're going to go study jaguars. It's going to be so cool. I'm going to take these photographs. I'm going to touch an animal. I'm going to be a superhero. Jaguars don't respond the same to being captured as mountain lions. We noticed that, at least in the case where we were, all mountain lions that we captured and we observed were fairly shy, uh, not very aggressive, and in a way, a little bit easier to manipulate and handle than a jaguar. When we captured the first jaguar, we noticed that this animal was just pushing and pulling on the snare. She was very aggressive. She really did not want to be there. She was difficult to handle, but we handled her okay. She fell asleep. We put the radio collar. We released her. We made sure that she was safe. A day later, we took the readings and she had moved a lot. So we knew that she was safe. So at that point, the only experience we had was, wow, jaguars push a lot and they're difficult. I mean, it made us change the whole way we did the captures because this was very scary. We realized that uh, we were lucky with the mountain lions being a little bit more calm. Jaguars could kill themselves, could kill the field crew, could die just in the process of being anesthetized. To complicate things, it was spring which meant the days were getting hot. Basically, by the end of March down there, we're already reaching 100 degrees by 10 or 11 in the morning. I always thought that we were doing the right thing by trying to anesthetize and put this cat to sleep as fast as possible and put it in the shade. After the first capture, I was very afraid. I was very afraid of jaguars. My dream of studying big cats kind of changed a little bit because it was very scary. I knew that I could get better at what I was doing. I knew that I could um, shoot the darts in a more accurate way. I knew that I could cover their eyes. I knew that I could cool them down. I mean, I, I anticipated all the things that I could do in order to have a, a capture running smoothly. Sergio was shaken, but he felt like he'd seen the worst and was better prepared for jaguars now. The temperature was very hot. We captured this male jaguar that was a huge jaguar that, again, was very, very aggressive and energetic and pushing on the snare and really trying to get close to us or on us as we were trying to throw a dart, to shoot a dart into this animal. We were able to anesthetize the cat, we put the cat to sleep, we put a radio collar, and then we left it there to wake up and move naturally. You kind of have to go away because they get stressed just by, when they're waking up from the drug, they're kind of drunk. 
And then we went back that night to make a reading just with the signal, with the signal that the caller gives you just to make sure that this cat was moving. And we got the right signal. We got the, the normal signal of, a, of an animal that's alive. And then the next morning. That's when we found that the cat had not moved very much and he had actually died. At this point, decisions were made in a split second under a lot of tension. And by then I cannot say that we were working as a team. I did not think that this was worth it. I did not think that we were doing the right thing by capturing animals if they were going to die. This was not what my science intentions were. This was not what my intentions in writing a, a thesis, you know, having a PhD and writing a dissertation and publishing articles. This was not my intention. Whereas the other biologist uh, sort of saw that, yes, we, we had a jaguar that died, but what was the big deal? It's just one cat. We didn't kill the whole species and it was a male. To me, he had an attitude that did not fit with the responsibility that comes with studying an endangered species, a protected species. Managing the death of a jaguar was very difficult. But it also was very difficult to learn that my advisor, who personally was my hero and, and a person that I admire and read a lot, he did not prepare us for this kind of incident and did not have the necessary tools and equipment to avoid this kind of incidents, did not give us the proper training. And later I found out that we didn't even have the permits for the capture. It was very disappointing, not only in the field to have an endangered species that you've dreamed of your whole life to study, but it was also very disappointing to learn that within your dreams of becoming a scientist, the person that you admire the most was a very irresponsible scientist who was very careless about some things. The other biologists wanted to close all the snares and take the body out to town and show it around. And I did not want to do any of that. So we brought the body back to the ranch house. We kept it there. We got into a big fight that day because we couldn't decide what to do and there was no communication with anybody. So the other biologist left to town and I was left there. And then he went and made phone calls and then our project director told us what to do. The project director sent a technician to help them close everything down. And then they left the desert to itself. A month later, I came back to this place by myself. So I went back around May or June. I walked some of those 10 hours on the dirt road. Some of it I got rides from the local ranchers and landowners. Some people already knew me. They didn't know exactly what was going on, but they knew that I needed to get back to this place. 
because I wanted to make sure that all camera traps were accounted for, that all research equipment was accounted for, that all snares were in one place. I wanted to make sure that there were records of all the equipment and everything because, well, again, because this was a conflict and everybody was pointing fingers to everybody. But I remember being very lonely, very alone. I remember the sense of loss. After all these years that I told you, since I was a kid, I was dreaming about cats and then the encyclopedias and the zoos and uh, other things. And I was just growing up. I went to biology school and I did my master's and I studied mountain lions. At this point here, I felt a very deep sense of being alone and like a big failure in my career. I felt like I wasn't doing the things that I was supposed to do. Sergio dropped out of his PhD. It's been over 15 years since the death of the Jaguar. Sergio still lives in Arizona. Now he works in conservation. When you went back that summer, and even in the years since then, did you, did you feel like part of that was to atone for the death of that jaguar? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would lie if I say I think about that jaguar every day, but I think about that jaguar very, very often. And what I try to do with my work is to inspire people, to share knowledge, and to honor that jaguar. Because that jaguar was there for only its own interest. It was not there for me to get a PhD. It was not there for me to get my cool photograph. It was there because it needed to eat and because it, it was doing its own life. And so I try to honor that Jaguar by explaining to people that life is a process that we all share, that everybody has their little piece in that process, that deer and frogs and saguaros and pine trees and grizzly bears are part of that process. And that if we do a little bit to make that process better, we might be doing it better, not only for ourselves, but for natural communities too. Our storyteller was Sergio Avila Villegas. His conservation work has brought folks together to talk across the U.S.-Mexico border and solve environmental problems that affect us all. You can help us tell more stories like this by supporting the show. Click donate at humannaturepodcast.org. Every dollar makes a difference. And if you can donate $25 or more, we'll send you a t-shirt. I'm Caroline Ballard. This episode was produced by Aaron Jones with help from Alana Elder. It was edited by me, Anna Rader, and Micah Schweitzer. The theme song is by Caught a Ghost. Human Nature is a production of Wyoming Public Media. It's human nature.